Hello and welcome once again to the Political Profundity Podcast with John Guzon and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Good afternoon. Had a quite of an in, uh, quite an interesting week, don't you think, Karen? Uh, you know, we missed last week. We had some some other commitments, but um, there was some definitely some some movement on the political field um, and a lot to talk about today. Um, I think we're going to jump on what we're now calling the Trump triage train, um, which has lots of different uh, uh, cars on the track uh, being pulled by uh, Donald Trump, the the engine that could. Um, and then we're going to go into um, a little bit about the political battle that's uh, somewhat going on, I guess. Uh, it's kind of going under the radar a little bit, but um, there's some relocating U.S. government departments um, we're going to talk about the ramifications of that, the political um, um, discussions involved in that. Um, and then we're going to go into the Democratic presidential race, a um, little bit, you know, talk a little bit about the wannabes where where it looks like in the polls now, especially in the early states before Super Tuesday. Um, we're going to just lightly touch on the whole Del- uh, Tulsi Gabbard imbroglio. Um, and then finally, we're going to take some quick hits on what's going on in Chile, uh, what happened in Canada recently with their election. Um, but Karen, as always, um, Donald Trump just can't seem to get out of his own way. Um, I guess the, you know, the biggest <laughs> news that happened, uh, you know, the mid midweek this week was um, uh, the uh, Taylor deposition and then uh, the storming of the gates of uh, some, um, I guess, loyal Republican stormtroopers uh, for Donald Trump. Um, you know, what's been going on? What do you see? It, it, it does seem like it's more about uh, the way the Democrats are handling the investigation than, than what's being uncovered, um, because what's being uncovered is pretty big. Right. You know, I, to kind of quickly start off what I about what what I, what I really think is behind all this in terms of in which the Taylor testimony yesterday, and this is a veteran, well-regarded diplomat, by the way, who was appointed by George W. Bush. So, you know, this is a guy who's been in the Republican circles for a long time. And by all accounts, I'd never heard of until now because, you know, he never gotten in any trouble and seemed to do his job with uh, competence and respect for the law and for you know, our nation's institutions. But what's interesting about, I think, about the GOP's, this little, I guess you could call it a hissy fit, I I don't (laughs) know, uh, that was done by people like, and and some of the usual suspects who are here, Jim Jordan, Matt Gates of Florida, uh, I think one or two Arizona congressmen, uh, like uh, Andy Biggs, and I see Debbie Lesko, in a picture of her here, and that's definitely her. Yeah, they're definitely the stain Um, on our state. These sure. are, yeah, I'm sorry to say. I, um, you know, David Jolly, a former GOP House member who, who's on MSNBC a lot, obviously not a fan of Trump, um, tends to be pretty thoughtful in his, in his, his, you know, the way he sums up a lot of the mess for his party and for the person who supposedly leads it. He had a tweet. <laughs> I know this is where a lot of our political debate comes from, but every now and then there's a great uh, nugget in it. There's a great but tweet. But he had one uh, nugget. Yeah. Um, House Republicans aren't frustrated they can't attend the hearing, he wrote. 
They're frustrated that the president got caught and there's nothing they can do about it. The wheels of justice grind slowly, but exceedingly fine. I, 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 that to me was a pretty astonishing comment. But I think it perfectly sums up what's going on here. When you consider Taylor's testimony, which I, you know, read a full transcript of it. And, you know, I mean, it's every time you think your mind can't be blown further (laughs) by what's alleged with the Trump administration in Ukraine, the more you read this transcript, just the more, you know, the more shocking and unacceptable it becomes. Uh, just, you know, there's a great piece on CNN that sort of breaks it down as to what he said, including that Rudy Giuliani, who the last time I checked, John, and maybe I'm wrong, he's not in the administration and has no official role. Yeah, not that I've heard. Not that I've Um, heard, no. So I'm not not wrong on that. I'm wrong on a hell of a lot of things, but I'm not on that. And yet here he is, knee-deep in this, for reasons that still just, again, here's somebody, once again, you look at who he was, 15, 16 years ago, and Giuliani was never a saint. We know that, but it's still just, it's still just depressing and awful to see how much this man has devolved over the years. Mm-hmm. There, you know, there's no other way to describe it. Yeah, or what we know. But, you know, what we know, yeah. It, it just that Taylor said there was an irregular and formal channel of U.S. policymaking with respect to Ukraine, one which included then Special Envoy Kurt Volker, who has now resigned, or Ambassador Sondland, who was recently, you know, sort of testified before Congress, as we know, but that, you know, didn't really. Um, yeah, and, you know, and I mean, out- I, you know, I was just going to, you know, kind of jump on what you were saying about Sondland, because it does seem like um, they want him back, supposedly. And, you know, one of the, mm-hmm. one, you know, one of the comments from they Taylor do. was that uh, Sondland told him that President Trump told him that he wanted Zelensky to state publicly that Ukraine mm-hmm. will investigate Burisma and alleged Ukrainian interference in the 2016 U.S. election. So that's almost directly, I mean, just, just it, that didn't come out in Sondland's testimony as far as we know, and that's the inference, right. is that Sondland didn't say that specifically, but now, um, you know, Taylor has brought him in, and he seems like the conduit that Trump was saying, you know, also get this done. He was the quote-unquote, uh, you know, a uh, official, um, you know, kind of, you know, pusher in inside the State Department since he was an ambassador where Giuliani couldn't be. He was more of the outside freelancer. But it creates all kinds of issues for Sondland and Taylor and all the rest of them. And I think right. the biggest... Yeah. You know, no, no, please continue. I, just, I was just going to say another player in this, of course, is now the outgoing former Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, uh, who just resigned last week. And you know, that they were all involved in this. He laid out without naming names, you know, the players who were involved with Giuliani, you know, in this quote unquote rogue, you know, operation, which the way it's described here, to get Trump to push Ukraine to pursue the investigations of his political opponents now, but specifically the one, you know, who's beating him in the polls pretty much for now, and that's right. the former vice president, Joe Biden. Right. Um, of course, now Joe Biden, and we don't want to go into this too much, we know he's and his son specifically, Hunter Biden, given the job he had with Barisma, which to, to this day, I've seen no evidence of any wrongdoing. Again, it's the appearance, 
and you know, we've talked about this. I would just tell anybody in politics, don't let your kid go work with any kind of financial institution associated with Russia or any of its its uh, its former uh, you know nation sure. states. I forget yeah. the term for the that were part of it. Just don't do that. Right. Um, but still, I mean, again, this this testimony from Taylor was, and I know we've heard ever since Trump got into office. You know, things that were supposedly the game changer, they weren't in right. terms of Trump actually being held accountable for criminal criminal acts. But even people who have been very cynical about all of this have said that Taylor's testimony is really, really bad uh -huh. for Trump. Right. And make no mistake, based on how he's freaking out on Twitter, and he went today to one of his little, you know, poor little me ego fest rallies in Pittsburgh, <laughs> a city in Pennsylvania, by the way, he lost by a substantial margin. So it's a good bet not too many Pittsburgh residents are at this. Most of them are probably coming from elsewhere right. um, to see that him sit there and screech for another two hours. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, water torture might be preferable to listening to that. But at any rate... So, you know, Trump knows this is bad. The people around him know it's bad. And, of course, the people who enable him in Congress, they also know that this is extremely damaging. Um, I would just advise people who might not know that much about why Trump's in so much trouble. You can find it all over, over, all over the Internet now. You know, and like I said, CNN has a very good summary of it. Five explosive line, you know, lines from Bill Taylor's statement before Congress, including the fact that there was indeed allegation of a quid pro quo, a, a phrase we've heard a lot of in the last few right. weeks, the old Latin term, uh, that basically Sondland had told Taylor that he had to tell the Ukrainian president, you know, Zelensky, that he used the phrase, I'll leave no stone unturned with regard right, to right, investigating, right. you know, Trump's opponents, uh -huh. which again, I, I don't, I can't recall a diplomat sort of instructing John, a foreign leader, to number one, go after investigate a political foe, number two, to tell them what to say. I, I'm really trying to – honestly, <laughs> I just – that seems, you know, absolutely shocking and beyond the pale wrong. Um, and it just it goes on from there. And then again, they wanted Zelensky to promise that he would investigate Biden. And then again, all tied to if you don't do this, we're not giving you any foreign aid. Right. When Taylor had told – the people involved, you know, who were the alleged ringleaders, there is no reason to deny Ukraine foreign aid. Absolutely none. What are you doing? I mean, this is a man who seems like he was trying to follow the letter of the law, do his job appropriately, and, you know, have a conscience and decided to tell Congress what was going on here. It really, again, I just would recommend to people if they don't know that much about this, if they're confused as to why Trump really is in a lot of trouble now, to read about this. Yeah, and 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 that's really you, some of the you know core issues here is that you know when when Mick Mulvaney said last week, hey, get over it. Um, there's 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 quid pro quos all the time. Um, you know, most people need to understand that that is that is the case. Um, there are quid pro quos given all the time for, hey, you know, you 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 actually open up your elections to make them more free. You, um, you know, stop persecuting your people. You investigate honest corruption. Um, generally, that's what we ask for as part of the national, you know, in our foreign policy. Um, 
but when it becomes a difference of that you're trying to um, have a foreign government investigate your political opponent, that's where the difference comes. And I think we all should understand that. Um, and if you don't, then uh, like you said, you need to look into it a little bit more. And I want to take it even further because as, as some of the you know real arguments are here, is that why that's why the Republicans are just going after process here and saying, hey, this is a closed session. People can't go see it. We're going to go storm in there. Um, and it's completely disingenuous. It, it doesn't really lay out the trueness of, of what's happening. Uh, you know, and I think there's a, a debate. Uh, if, if the debate wants to be had, um, you can have it. However, not to say that the whole thing is a sham because of it, because, you know, it seems logical to me that we're talking about national security issues here. And we're talking about things that you want to have in a secure area so people can speak freely. Now, there's been right. no indication that there's not going to be, you know, the whole you know, when, when the Democrats laid this out, when they're going to be doing these depositions, the idea is that you can have staffers, you can have also the participants in the committee, which includes Republicans. So there's actually Republicans in the room at the time. It's not like there's no Republicans allowed, which is what some of the conservative media and some of these um, uh, congressmen that stormed the gate today will allude to, even though that's not really true. Um you know, it's not public necessarily right now, but what they're trying to do and what was laid out is we're going to have these, we're going to collect the information, then we're going to release a report, and then it's going to be transparent and we're going to have public testimony from some of these people. Um, and obviously they're trying to poison the well before they even get there. That's what exactly it seems like they're doing by doing this storming and saying that there's a problem. Um, there's Republicans that are sitting in those rooms all the time that aren't the stormtroopers that are concerned about this, and we know it. And, and you know, the truth will come out. No one's going to try to impeach a president based upon closed door, behind closed door evidence. That's not really what's, what's here. Um, they're trying to get the information, one, so that they can get it, and there's no national secrets that are exposed, and, and two, so they can make the case and then present the, the case that they want in front of them. If people want to cross-examine when it becomes public, then they have the full right to do so. And if the evidence isn't there, then the Democrats will fall on their faces as they deserve to do if they don't really have the evidence that they should in order to bring these charges. Um, but it's it's like the cart is before the horse because the testimony appears so damning that there's nowhere else to go. And so they want to poison the well on it. And that's that, you know, the long and short, it seems like, of everything else, what you had mentioned, why, how damaging it looks, and then why the Republicans are doing what they're doing right now, and it really is just a ploy. Um, and and you know the evidence is going to come out for those who are concerned about that. It's, this is not going to be private and behind closed doors forever. Um, do you see it that way, and do you think people are going to see it, or it's already taking that base and convincing them that this is behind closed doors and a sham, and that's now going to be the argument they lie on? Well, look. And we, we've talked about this quite a bit. Most of Trump's base, they're never going to believe that this man has done anything wrong at all. Okay, the sun, well, I don't even want to use that expression about where the sun shines out of. I don't really want anybody to lose their lunch in regards to Trump. Um, I'm sorry. Thank you. But they thank yes, thank yes. I appreciate that. But, so they're, they're never going to, that, that, that is that 25 to 30% of this country and I, I, you know, I, I, there's a good percentage of people who voted for Trump and deeply regret it. And that's, you're seeing that in polls. They're not coming back to this guy. They've had it. 
their protest, their vote may have been a protest. It may be because they just really didn't like Hillary Clinton. Uh, we know she certainly had her issues when she was campaigning, for sure. Never mind the emails, which, by the way, a final report cleared her of any wrongdoing, just in case anybody's wondering. Still doesn't excuse some of the mistakes she made while campaigning. That's for sure. But, you know, they're never, you know, that percentage of people, you know, Trump's losing them, too. But then you have that 25 to 30, maybe a little over 30 percent. They're just they're not interested in this. They don't care that this man broke the law. They just don't care. So, I, you know, there's nothing that can be done or said further about that particular group of voters. They, they're they sticking with him, and that's that. Um, but when you look at polls, John, I just saw one today, 55% now, the highest number yet. And these are of independence, which is Trump needs a few of those to come over if he has if, if he's still even on the ballot in 2020. And I don't think it's insane to say, John, that he may not be. I, you know, anybody who just is so assured that this is going to be the person the GOB is going to put up next this time next year. I, I, I you know, I'm from Vegas and we're kind of leery about betting anyway, for the most part. And I certainly wouldn't bet on that. But uh, so, but if, even if Trump is, he's probably not going to have that same mixture of voters between the hardcore GOP and and then those who crossed over for the reasons I've already talked about. But that you have this number now supporting impeachment and in many cases removal, it tells you that I'd say people are listening to what's going on and they're reading about what's going on in Congress I think, again, and we talked about this on a recent podcast, whether Mueller report, because it was simply too complicated, even though there was a lot of damning evidence in that, but it just wasn't this quick sort of thing that was easy to understand. I have to confess to somebody, you know, part of my job is to learn about this and read about it all day, but sometimes to me it was confusing just because of the number of players and the kind of tactics that were used. But this is pretty obvious. In a conversation the day after Mueller testified, which you, you're you're going to surmise that Trump probably felt emboldened, and now he could do whatever he wanted. Um, he calls up the Ukrainian leader and says, "Go after Biden, or you don't get any money." Right. That's basically how what went down here. And to everybody, that's easy to understand. And and make no mistake, the same Republicans that had their Big, uh, you know, reality TV display. They know deep down inside that it's easy to understand, too. They're just going to try to excuse it or lie or claim what's been documented just couldn't have happened. So and and so far, the GOP is not they're just not doing very well with that. Um, so I, I say that the American public is not you know, they're not buying what Trump's saying here, no matter how many times he freaks out on Twitter uh, or just something rash. And, and I have said this many times, you know, the worse things get for him, the worse he's going to behave. And everybody better get ready for that. He will just so debuck, defile and debase the office more than he already has before he's finally gone. That, I mean, it's, it is, it is disheartening and it is, it is infuriating because that's happening. Um, but that's what he's going to do because he simply doesn't have the basic dignity or decency to, you know, to act like an actual leader and take any responsibility for anything he's done wrong. Um, you know, well, you know, you know said, but so I, I'd say I'm sorry, I, I just want to say I think I think the public understands what's going on here now is 
Are we ever going to maybe get to say 70% want him impeached and removed? I, I don't think so. But I, I don't think it's impossible, John, that we might get to about 60 or more percent. Well, you know, that will probably be likely if he's really nearing actual removal. Um, you know, that, that'll probably signal that. And we don't know where that's going to go. Um, but you know, even even uh, you know the 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 two uh, associates of Rudy Giuliani, um, uh, Parnas, Lev Parnas, um, uh, you know, I guess is the is the is the is the biggest figure. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, Igor Fruman as well. Um, those two guys, uh, Lev and Igor, um, former. I guess they were both born in uh, the former Soviet Union. Um, I've come here and I don't haven't really seen anywhere where, you know, anybody has any details on that. Um, But, you know, they were uh, arrested, indicted, then uh, pled not guilty uh, midweek this week. Um, As you mentioned, it just seems like there's more going on. Rudy Giuliani is running this, um, the ties to Dmitry Firtash. um, You know, it's just it's like, you know, the onion keeps getting. Um, uh, you know, more potent as you get to the core of it. Um, we don't even know. We haven't even mentioned these two guys. Um, don't know re- really what's going to end up happening with it. But it seems like this this investigation's going on. Um, you know, finding out who 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 knew about it in the Justice Department. It seems like you know there was a a trip that was announced the week before um, where Barr was at this uh, Southern District of New York. Um, it seems like his top, uh, the guy who runs the criminal division for him, didn't know about it, so he had talked to Giuliani. Um, so, you know, that that whole, the, you know, uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland trip down the rabbit hole, um, it, it seems like there's more there, too. Besides what was going on in Ukraine, it was how they were trying to mine this stuff and what they would have done in order to give it legs. Um, and they were kind of creating its own disinformation using Furtash and Parnas and, and Fruman and whoever else they could. And then they were trying to make it become legitimate. It, it seems like it's like this disinformation ca- uh, campaign run by, um, you know, amateurs. And, you know, so that's why, you know, part of it says, are they really tied to, you know, Putin directly? Um, why would they let these guys go? And then it almost says, well, because it's even more of a disinformation campaign. We make these guys look like they're the real bad guys. And then in the meantime, we have the Internet Research Agency or or its heir um, doing the same work. Um, you know, Facebook was on uh, Capitol Hill today. There's been a lot of other things that are going on. And it goes to the debasement of the office. And it seems like, um, you know, are they really concerning themselves with it at least you know you know trump and his cronies aren't you hope there's other people in the government who are because we don't know that these attacks on our democracy are 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 continuing and our president realizes well i'll probably benefit from them so i'm not going to do much about it um i don't know that's the way i've been seeing a lot of the you know stuff that's been swirling around the sides of 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 the uh storming um you know it's like none of these uh, representatives care well, several things on that. And, and first of all, I want to say the argument Republicans are making, well, this is being done in secret and we don't have access. Actually, the people who were, you know, protesting today, you know, Jim Jordan, Matthew, Matt Gates, Biggs of Arizona et al., they're simply not on these committees. But they have every right in other hearings to ask as many questions as they want and bring in their own witnesses and, and respond in that, you know, as they see fit. All well and good. They have a right to do that. 
but they for their they, they and they, but they have claimed since day one, oh, none of this is fair and it's not being handled properly. You know, I, I'm willing to bet they had absolutely no problem with closed door hearings about you know for Bill Clinton when he before he was impeached. I bet they had no problem with the same closed door hearings about the Benghazi disaster. And nor you know nor should nor would I because if that's done by the law and you know based on their rules, fine. So long as all the evidence is eventually out in the public. And it is discussed in, in open committees, and then it's voted on. I'd say the process is being handled properly. Uh-huh. So that's just that's just a BS argument on their part. It yeah. just doesn't make any sense. And another thing I find interesting about the actions of this group today is that quite a few of them met with Donald Trump yesterday in the White House. Um, I have a very funny suspicion, and because by the way, Trump was fine with what they were doing. And then reportedly he asked them. Now, I don't know if that can be fully confirmed, but would any of us be surprised if that were the case, that Trump told them to do this to no. just to stall and to sort of divert? No, because that's what he does. So that's just, you know, their arguments in that respect are, are about it not not being the proper process is just absolute, utter nonsense. And, and I think, you know, it's funny because the Democrats get a lot of crap. On the left, and sometimes they deserve it, you know, for how they've handled this maybe from the beginning by being too timid, et cetera. But it, I've often argued and I've told people they've got one chance to get this right when it's down to the day that they vote on impeachment articles. And if they fail, then that that unfortunately is going to embolden Trump even more. It doesn't mean he's going to get reelected because of I, as I keep insisting, Donald Trump is not Bill Clinton, and he is not popular to begin with. But still, it would not look good for the Democrats. I I think another thing, too, I didn't mention, Nancy Pelosi's brother died last week. She was at his funeral today. Make no mistake, one of the reasons Gates wanted to do this is because they knew Pelosi wasn't there, and there wouldn't be as quick a way for the Democrats to respond. But and I, you know, I know there have been arguments about how the sergeant of arms can arrest them. Well, maybe the sergeant of arms can, but make no mistake, because the G- DOJ technically controls that, they'd all be out of, you know, whatever the capital jail is in a matter of minutes. So I'm, I'm just not sure how, how useful that is. I think a censure, especially of Gates, is in order here, uh, because this guy just he he has been grossly inappropriate and irresponsible since the start of this. Um, but, you know, that's, I think that's kind of the story behind why this happened. Mm-hmm. And in the long run, it didn't, it didn't stop Ms. Cooper. Um, she's the deputy assistant secretary for defense of Russia, Ukraine, and Eurasia. Her name is Laura Cooper. It didn't stop her ultimately from testifying. That happened a few hours ago. Right. So, right. you know, and it, apparently all I can say to these Republicans, you know, then you decided to go and eat pizza. So it just sort of shows how much you, take this seriously and i'm being sarcastic when i say that yeah and there's there's like you know as as we had mentioned previously um just because they're not in the room this is all grandstanding just because they're not there doesn't mean they're not going to see the evidence it doesn't mean that they can't talk to their republican colleagues who are who are in the room it doesn't mean that they're not getting the information what's going on there it's all just a a you know it's the shell game you know look over here because what's going on over there isn't important what's going on over there is wrong 
um, and, 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 and watch me rail about it, you know, and then that's really what it all is about. It's just trying to keep the base from going, Hey, wait a second, maybe you shouldn't have done these things. Um, and no, it's, it's just, and I mean, and there's something very, the other thing I want to say, I'm sorry, but just, there's something extraordinarily unsettling and inappropriate about, about these house members doing this. If, you know, they're not, they're, they're not part of these committees. So their entire argument is bullshit. And for them to think they can just sort of force their way in there, that's, I don't want to say mob mentality, but it's kind of close to it. This is, and and reportedly one of the reps, Bradley Byrne of Alabama, as a Republican, was yelling at Stephen Schiff. I, you know, and Stephen Schiff reportedly didn't engage, which is probably the smart thing to do. But again, you're looking at people who they know Trump's in a lot of trouble and they just, they know what's coming. Well, you know, if they knew what was coming, though, don't you think they would be smarter about it instead of trying to do something like this? I mean, they're the ones that are going to be really labeled as 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 the Trump stormtroopers here. And as we you know, we have on our docket here to kind of talk about there's, you know, been some Republican cracks in the armor. There's obviously some folks that are that are that are that are not very happy, whether they're they're definitely not in that group of 24 who stormed the meeting. Right. Those are the hardcore. They come from hardcore red districts that are very much enamored with Trump. So they, you know, they've got they've got nothing to lose here because that group will still come back and vote for them next year. There are Republicans in swing or even going very blue districts now. You've got to wonder how nervous they are. They may, you know, they may decide at the end of the day, do I want to keep my job and or do I you know, do I want to just continue enabling Trump? And so that's that's going to be a morality play, uh, you know, on its own. Um, I, I just, again, I, I don't, it, it's interesting too, Rick Wilson, the noted GOP strategist, he said, watch every one of these guys do a fundraiser office. And I think he's, he's correct. But Bill Crystal, another one who just said, you know, this is really not going to look good for any of them over the next few days. Yeah, or or even longer. I mean, I think, you know, one of the things I would yeah, try to tell all of those folks is, hey, you know, history's watching, you know, whether you know it or not. Um, and it's these guys, um, you know, and I, you know, really think that, that even what Romney does is just more for the history books. Um, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, you know, Pierre Delecto, his, uh, his, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, his fake tw- uh, Twitter handle, even Colin Powell. Um you know, these folks are, are those guys that want in 10 or 20 years when there's a documentary made, they can say, but there was some Russian, I mean, Russian, Republican, see, now it's now it's a synonymous Republican Russian, um, pardon me. Um, but uh, there's some, you know, there was some Republican, uh, you know, dissatisfaction with Trump, even when, you know, the, the heightened his defense and they'll have a clip of Powell saying, well, you know, you got to do something about him. Um, but it does seem like there's some availability there. You know, we also talked about it before, saying 20 or 30 senators would vote to impeach if it was a secret ballot. And, you know, we've talked about how, well, it's finally there. When you have it there and you decide to remove him, um, you know, you might be able to to manage that because, you know, history will look uh, will frown upon him. Um Right. But, you know, it does seem like there's cracks growing and there's also even a increased energy for impeachment. Uh, around the country. Um, I don't know. It it does seem like it's continuing to grow that even these little stunts as they pulled today aren't working and that the evidence is really showing that, you know, people have tired of Trump 
Um, you know, you kind of mentioned it before, but do you do you see the energy for impeachment even getting near the point that you're even saying that maybe he could get convicted in I, the Senate? I think when it comes to the Senate, and you, we, there was news today that about seven very hardcore GOP senators, once again in very red states, have said they see absolutely no reason for impeachment. These are people like Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi, uh, Jerry Moran of Kansas. You know, they've been hardcore Trump enablers from day one. And and they're terrified of him coming after them on Twitter or not campaigning for them, or they could have a primary challenger who's even more of a Trump shell than they are. You know, they're that's, that's why all of them who know better, who understand what a cancer Donald Trump is, and yet they continue to help him because they're afraid of him, and they care more about that than they do the right thing for our country and to a lesser, lesser degree for their own political party. But I, I do, you know, I think if, if you did see, if just say theoretically, if you saw support across the board, now not maybe with Republicans, but with Democrats, with enough independence and maybe enough of a smattering of, of Republicans who regret voting for Trump. And like you said, are just tired of him. They want him gone. And, and they're, they're in favor of this process. Um, if it got to say, like I said, 65%, yet I'm not holding my breath on that, but I, I wouldn't, I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'd make some predictions. I think you'd have Susan Collins vote to convict and remove Cory Gardner, even though he, you know, usually, you know, war, you know, blurts out the usual kind of talking points in defense of Trump. But that's a guy who's really in a lot of trouble heading into re-election next year. He's losing to John Hickenlooper, the, the, the former Democratic governor who ran for president briefly, didn't get anywhere with it, now is running for Senate there in Colorado and is very popular there. Uh, he, you see him losing to him by at least 11 points. So Gardner might be one. Um, I don't be surprised if maybe Tom Tillis of North Carolina, that's another one who's vulnerable, uh, decides he does, you know, he's going to do it because that's where his state's going. I think there's a much smaller chance Joni Ernst of Iowa might. I, John Cornyn, I, you know, because he's also been a pretty good chill for Donald Trump, probably wouldn't. But what's going to be interesting is to watch. I, and I forgot to mention Mitt Romney. I think Mitt Romney is a real possibility to to convict and remove. Because whatever you want to say about Mitt Romney. There's no question in his own private life, I'm not talking about his political or, or some of his financial adventures, but, you know, this is somebody who's a decent man, all right? He's been a you know, married family man for a long time, and I think he, he's no doubt de- deeply offended by Trump's, you know, disgraceful behavior. So you might get him to vote yes, too. Um, those, maybe even another name I'll put out there, and I don't mean to keep going on with names, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska. This is somebody who has defied Trump on more than one occasion. Uh, and doesn't, I can, you can tell she's clearly not a fan of his. So she just might be in that column too. I, you know, but that's still not 67. But I, I think, it, you know, if, if, if there is a trial, and even if Trump doesn't get convicted, it's like Bill Clinton. The damage is done, and it's too late. Yeah. And, you know, Bill Clinton didn't have to go for re-election, although he certainly hurt Al Gore, which, you know, to this day, I, you know, is so unfair to Al Gore, it's not even funny. Um, but at any rate, that's what happened in 2000, which is why anytime somebody says this will make Donald Trump more popular, 
I, you know, I just want to laugh in their face because they're wrong. Contrary to all the conventional wisdom, the Democrats paid a severe price for Bill Clinton being impeached. Uh-huh. All the way up until 2006, when they finally took back the Congress. Yep. So I, you know, I, looking at the, you know, at the map in terms of that for the Senate, to me, I think that's a possibility. But well, you know, possibilities are just that. And between now and whenever this finally happens, you know, anything is possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sadly, for better or worse. Yeah. You know, my predictions right now are that if, um, you know, I, that, that it will go to the Senate, there will be a trial. Um, and either there will be some protest votes that Republicans will cross the line. Every Democrat um, and independent will vote for um, to convict. And you might have one or two, and it's either going to go one or two other ways that there will be, you know, a handful of protest votes, maybe Romney, maybe somebody else that's going to vote for impeachment, knowing they have four years to run and they never have to run again with Donald Trump. Um, or um, it's going to be nearly unanimous where, um, you know, where it starts being clear that they're going to get to 67 for some reason and then everybody uh, else jumps on the train um, knowing that uh, the political future lays elsewhere. Um, but that's my, um, right. um, you know, you know, current prediction is going to go either one of those two ways, just, a, a, you know, a couple votes yeah. or or 40. Um, so anyway, um, it was interesting, you know, Slate wrote a nice piece um, about something we had talked about a few times, how as much as people are saying, well, Mitch McConnell runs the Senate, um, what's going to happen um, if, um, you know, the trial goes there? Um, you know, Slate wrote a great piece about how it's really the Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice who runs things. And once it gets there, um, he doesn't really have much to say unless they try to change the rules that were created um, in the Andrew Johnson impeachment, which looks like they're not going to. Um, uh, so, you know, I just think that a lot of people haven't really thought about the fact that Roberts is going to be doing, doing it. It looks like he's going to take that responsibility very seriously. Um, and so, you know, McConnell doesn't have as much of a of a hand in that as as I guess it's been made out to be that he, he's not going to be able to force anything through real quick. And Roberts is going to take this chance to really run this like a trial. Right. I, you know, look, Chief Justice John Roberts, nobody, nobody will ever call him a liberal because he's most certainly not. And let's, speaking of 2000, this is a man who was advising the Bush campaign on the Supreme Court decision and, and challenging it, it, you know, the general where the, the votes were going at that time in the courts. So, you know, he's, again, he's somebody with a past that is, shall we say, complicated and not always admirable. But that being said with Roberts, you do, I, I've always gotten a sense for him, from him, that this man does care about his legacy. And I don't think he wants to when he does retire, and that's nowhere on the horizon, still relatively young. But when he does, he wants to be known as a justice that, that tried to bring some modicum of independence and decency to the court. And let's not kid ourselves. The Supreme Court, frankly, has been very damaged since 2000 uh, with the Bush v. Gore decision. And I, so I, I'm, I'm agreeing with this piece. I think that if McConnell tries anything... And again, we'll just bring up one more thing about Mitch McConnell. His wife is in Trump's cabinet. And that's exactly why, you know, it, I think it's pretty obvious it's why he enables Trump, even though those two have had screaming matches on the phone. They clearly don't like each other. But 
so long as, you know, Trump employs his wife, I guess he'll put up with all the garbage. That's or, and, you know, which, and that doesn't speak well of Elaine Chow. Or Deripaska puts um, a aluminum factory in Kentucky. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> you know, but so I, I would I would believe unless and I you know, certainly would not want to be proven wrong on this, that when if and when Trump is impeached and then the then the next move is a trial, if McConnell tries anything, uh, you know, Roberts would probably just say, look, we have to do this. You can like it or not like it, but it has to happen. Um, so, and, and, you know, that's, that's what, that's what the justice is supposed to do. You know, the constitution explicitly states that he shall preside over presidential impeachment trials. It's not a matter of him wanting to, it's a matter he has to, uh, you know, and it wouldn't, if it, it, say it were the chief justice were somebody appointed by a Democrat and you had a five to four democratic leaning, so to speak, or progressive majority, I would absolutely expect that chief justice say theoretically it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Eric Garland or, you know, whomever. Yes, we would want them to follow the rules, do this, you know, have the trial, and we go from there. So I, I, and again, I just, I think Roberts does care about the court in that respect, even though he, you know, there are some people serving on that bench who clearly don't and should not be there. Brett Kavanaugh being the main example, but you yeah. can't really blame Roberts for that. I don't really think he had anything to do with that. I so, agree. I just hope that he doesn't um, create his own special robes for the occasion like Rehnquist did. <laughs> yes, exactly. And yeah. fine. Hey, you can dress up as much as he wants as long as we have this trial Jeez. and all the evidence is out there. And, and just to not harp again on the politics of all of this, but make no mistake, even if Trump gets acquitted, all of that evidence is going to be out there, and it's still going to be pretty shocking. So this is why I do maintain Donald Trump will come out of this even more damaged and unpopular than he already is. So there's just really not any kind of upside for him at all. And he doesn't, he, he doesn't deserve it. Well, uh, you know, moving on from that, I think one of the reasons why, you know, we also saw um, over the last uh, seven days uh, an announcement of uh, the G7 was going to be held at Doral in Miami, uh, one of Donald Trump's properties. And then um, Mick Mulvaney comes out and, and, and backs it up, um, says what he says about the quid pro quo. Um, he, he, he puts his foot in his mouth several times. Um, and then over the weekend, Trump says, no, we're not going to Doral because Democrats. Um, but everyone knows that it's really because even Republicans were outraged. Um, it seemed like a very um, idiotic thing to do when there's a body that's already thinking about impeaching you and you want to throw in maybe an easy emoluments, um, f- really feeling nauseous to your stomach kind of corruption thing, like sending a, um, a gathering of world leaders to your property. Um, it, it just seemed like it made no sense. Um, it does seem like it's corruption at its highest level. Um, and you know, it just seemed like maybe they pulled the, the easy pickings off, um, because obviously he didn't, um, uh, perform the corruption by just announcing it and, and changing his mind. Right. Um, do I mean, do you really think he thought he was going to get away with that or that, you know, he could say, oh, I'm doing my best for the American people by trying to save him some bucks or was this just oh, I, another, no, I, you know, hide I, the, I think, yeah, hide I the pee. From- I'm sorry. Yeah, I think Trump, again, just, he just not, and actually Mick Mulvaney just did a miserable, miserable job with that press conference on Friday. I, I, you know, what's the old expression when you're in a hole, quit digging? 
<laughs> and he just kept shoveling and shoveling <laughs> away. I, I just again, you're, you're watching this with your jaw, just trying to pick it up off the floor because it was just so beyond the pale arrogance and just contempt almost for the American taxpayer in terms of, oh, it'll save us money. Actually, no, it really doesn't. So, and then, of course, just within by what, Sunday, they had to reverse course because there was so much outrage from the public and and from, yeah, as you said, credit those GOPers who said, hey, you know what? This isn't a good idea. Don't do not do this. Um, but it's it's just, I, 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 again, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll read a quote from Mulvaney just to show you how truly cut off from reality these people are because he claims Trump was honestly surprised at the level of pushback. Quote, he still considers himself to be in the hospitality business and saw an opportunity to take the biggest leaders around the world, and he wanted to put on the absolute best show, best visit he possibly could. He was very confident at doing that at Durrell. And you know what, John? That almost sounds like Trump, like, literally dictated word for word to Mulvaney to say that, because that just sounds like Trump speaking. It doesn't well, I mean, sound you know, and, and, well, like a responsible chief of staff explaining his administration's policies. Well, Mulvaney specifically said, and I think the information came out later, that they weren't considering Doral because of um, the conflict of interest issues, and that Trump uh, said, well, what about Doral? And everybody said, yeah, that's a great idea. If you want to do it, go ahead. Great idea. And then, as you said, he took the advertisement and made it policy. Right. And, and you know, this is the same resort, which, by the way, has been reported for serious bed bug violations, among other things. And then Miami in June and in Florida in general, it's rainy, it's hot. It is not all that perfect of weather to enjoy something like that in. Um, you, you just got to wonder, too, maybe privately, if, if maybe the Trump administration didn't hear from, say, some of the leaders of other countries saying, you know, you know, we're not comfortable doing this. Maybe you could find someone else. And of course, because Trump acts like a child, you know, and responds with a tweet, you know, as usual, the hostile media and their Democrat partners went crazy in all caps. I mean, again, it's just not, this is not a legitimate president who acts like this. So I, for one, was just glad to see, and I think a lot of people were relieved, and there was a bit of, shall we say, gloating satisfaction in seeing the Trump administration back down because people put, you know, people pushed back. Um, but again, I just, it's one of the 10 million examples of how just clearly just how corrupt and disrespectful these people are towards the American rule of law and, and norms you know, and and just the American taxpayer and and our image around the world. So, uh, so I, yeah, it was a relief that they decided not to do it. But of course, it's only because I, I assume there was probably just more Republicans saying, you know, we're not cool with this. Stop it now. You're only giving us another reason to vote to impeach you, right? Which most of them aren't going to do, but they may have used that as an argument. Yeah. So and, you know, and, and, I, I you guess know, I, it was, yeah. I like your idea of too of of, of what um, foreign governments came out and said. Look, we're not going to go if you if you do that. Um, I think that would be interesting to find out. And obviously, we'll probably won't hear that anytime soon. Um, but um, you know, moving from you know that Doral issue to what happened in Syria over the last two weeks, um, which I will summarize this way: uh, Trump pulls out, allows Syria to move in. 
Um, they decide to split it with Russia, and now sanctions are gone. Ceasefire is over. They don't have to worry about it. It's all done. We've given it to Russia and Syria and 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 Turkey, and there you go, done. Uh, he just gave away northern Syria, and the Kurds gave them up. Um, again, you know, with you know, for those of us who've been around, we've been hearing you know the Kurds were abandoned in northern Iraq in the first Gulf War. Um, you know, we did it to them, maybe, you know, for sure for the second time, maybe for the third, um, if anybody wants to talk about what happened in World War II. Um, it, 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 it just, it seems, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi said all roads lead to Putin. Um, you know, you know, Trump will say, hey, we don't need to die in the blood and the sand. We weren't really having that many casualties. What we were doing is protecting American interests there. No need for it. Um, he's, he's, he's declaring solutions and mission accomplished for crises that he created. Um, it just seems like uh, another huge issue that, al- that alone would have been the end of someone's presidency. And he has so many that r- rip him down that he just says, no, it's not me. And his base keeps believing it. Uh, that's all that it seems like is happening. You know, anything well, else unfortunately, that you have? Yes, because we're talking. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you basically look, Trump Green. I, I, this is not just me saying this. This is the opinion of a whole lot of people who are far more knowledgeable than I could ever be. Okay. Trump basically greenlit a humanitarian crisis. And for absolutely. No valid reason. None whatsoever. I doubt Trump even knew what the Kurds, who the Kurds were until somebody told him an hour after he talked to Erdogan. Yeah, and I'd like to throw in there's. I'd like to throw in that there's no valid interest except for one that benefits Turkey and Russia, right? I mean, there's no valid interest to the United States, right? Right. I mean, I. And Nick, you know, his just and his comments about the Kurds were just despicable. You know, oh, there are no angels, and they didn't fight in Normandy. Really, I don't recall Trump's father serving in World War II either. And you know, we certainly know Trump didn't, and we know his sons didn't serve in Iraq. So I really think he needs to shut his little mealy mouth about you know who fought for whom, because he's got no ground on which to stand when it comes to that. But and it's and it's also just a slap in the face, by the way, John. To all the men and women of our military who were fighting in part so the Kurds could have peace. Now, that wasn't the only reason why we were in Iraq and we stayed there, but it was, it was a component of it. And we saw improvements in how things were going for the Kurds in Iraq. Now, obviously, Turkey and the Kurds, that, that's just long been a very fractious, complicated relationship, um, it, in, you know, involving some Kurdish groups that, didn't always behave properly, but you know Erdogan's whole actions of the, in this are again appalling and unnecessary. I, I you know I don't I, I just don't recall there being any sort of you know the Syria situation has been a mess now for nearly a decade and and that's a huge problem and just another thing I want to mention because you've heard Obama or I'm sorry Trump bring up President Obama's name but somehow he's to blame for this well. In case anybody wants to really blame Barack Obama for Syria, which, again, he never should have made the red line comment. That was an incredibly foolish thing to do. But let's not forget, President Obama went to Congress in 2013 and said, look, I need military, you know, I need your permission if we're going to take any military action. 
And as we recall, Congress told him no. And I, I just, again, that's not to say even if we had gone into Syria at that time that it would have solved, you know, every problem or even, you know, solved some of them in the long run. But still, I, it, I, this is just an extraordinarily complicated situation that Donald Trump did nothing to improve. And I, I just it's, it's just disgusting to listen to him say, let someone else fight over this long, bloodstained sand. Like, like, like he would have any clue about, you know, the sacrifices one would have to make to be in the military. It's just, you know, just, it's almost, again, this man just enjoys trolling the world. It's, I, you know, I, I know I'm getting into a more meta discussion, you know, meta discussion about this, but it's, it's just another example of how little he cares about anything other than protecting his own business interest yeah and, and you now know the, you know turkey's a member of nato yeah. the last time i checked too and that's, you know, right. that's um, right you know that's one of the benefits that you know when you have some of those folks that bash nato it's not just that we have to support things it's just it's it's by through that alliance we have some power over those countries to kind of say well you need to keep playing ball um or else you're not going to be in nato anymore and you know for all the you know you know you know aspects that that brings up because you know erdogan is not gonna throw his whole country into russia um he's already thrown everything into nato and basically the american alliance and we can you know cut that off at any point in time if he doesn't understand what leverage is as far as 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 turkey and nato goes um they shouldn't be wanting or doing anything that we don't want them to do um if they want to keep that um alliance up um, you know, it was a hard slog for them to even be in NATO um, to begin with. And people said, don't trust that country. And that's why they, they were, you know, you know, brought in um, under a lot of protest. And, and you know, we need to now uh, leverage that, of, you know, all as far as we can. Um, having a NATO member go make a separate agreement with Putin on, on, on Syria is just, um, you know, counter to, you know, American foreign policy for the past 50, 60 years. And, uh, yep. You know, again, a lot of the base doesn't understand it, at least Trump's base. Um, well, I, I, you know, again, another, now speaking of NATO, and I, I have to offer some criticism here on them. Frankly, what is NATO doing about this right now? I, I you know, I honestly, I've yet to see or hear any firm enough response from that organization in terms of how it's going to respond to Turkey. Yeah, but Karen, again, that is, you know, we have to understand that we are the biggest player in NATO. And if you have Donald Trump, who's basically greenlighting all of this, what can NATO really do when 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 basically, you know, for all intents and purposes, America has said that NATO is not going to care. And without the American pressure on it, then nothing can be done. Well, and then that's a shame. And that's highly irresponsible of other NATO nations to not. Just be, and maybe for all we know right now, John, France or Germany, I don't know about Britain right now, sorry to say it, but um, they might be working behind the scenes, speaking of working behind the scenes, but, you know, sometimes that's done for valid reasons, to to, to find a way to, to either stop this or even maybe punish Turkey. I, I don't know. That might be, you know, asking too much, but clearly, I, the only other thing I want to say about that, too, like, again... In terms of how these autocrats act, it's another example, sadly, of how common institutions are just not prepared at this point to fully respond to it. Uh -huh. And, you know, when one of NATO's own members 
facilitates, although, you know, Trump ultimately gave the green light, but when, you know, Erdogan's the one who wanted this to happen, um, when, when one of its own members is causing this kind of havoc, you know, there's something wrong there. Yeah, yeah well, you know, it does seem it, like, it you know, is, I mean, disturbing. you know, with, with, you know, Trump has been setting up NATO to be a, you know, a point of blame. And I think, you know, most member countries realize at this point, anything we do to get in the way just weakens the alliance. And, you know, they're riding Trump out and, and, and they know that things will change with pretty much any other candidate that's going to be able to make it in there in the near future. Um, because I just, you know, it's changed our electorate as we've talked about before. I think this has eliminated certain candidates from ever being in that position again. And we, you know, I, I, I can only hope that that intuition on my part is true, that you, you'll never see uh, someone else without any experience or who could possibly be co-opted actually making it as far as Trump did to the white house. Um, you know, let's move to, you know, the next topic I really, you know, unless we got something else to add on Syria, you know, are you okay with moving to this uh, U.S. government yeah, relocation? I just, I, again, I just, you know, to remind people, this is a horrible thing that's happening. And I, we can only pray that it stops soon, specifically just, you know, for the Kurdish people, because it is, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking. You know, yeah. As with everything else, uh, Trump has been kind of dominating this this next mm-hmm. topic about mm-hmm. uh, relocating the U.S. government um, is kind of based on him, and probably whether it would actually have been going on at this point is probably probably it probably wouldn't have happened um, for sure right now. I think without uh, Trump being in the White House, but um, I guess there's three uh, governmental departments: um, the Department of Agriculture, Department of Interior. And the Bureau of Land Management are all looking at relocating hundreds of workers out of Washington, D.C., um, to different areas. Um, uh, Education Department now to also is talking about going to Tennessee. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're saying, well, you got to get the swamp out of Washington, D.C., um, there's been, um, uh, you know, questioning by by unions and others, and they say that people don't want to go. They think the further they get away from D.C., the further they are from making decisions. Um, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the folks that worked for these departments were already out in satellite offices. It was just, you know, kind of the administrators, some of the people that ran things, um, a lot of different people that were in um, in the D.C. area. Um, you know. It's 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 one of those ideas that also is is a left and right thing. Um, Andrew Yang, there's some uh, is one Democratic candidate who who agrees, um, but what seems to not have been happening where there this was kind of proposed 2017 2018. Now there's actual bills that are being um, you know proposed by by um, uh, Republican members of Congress to kind of move as much as you can of the federal government out of Washington D.C. Um, but some of these um, um, early, uh, you know, kind of pulses that have been taking say that if they move too many of them away, they will lose that influence. A lot of people don't want to do it um, uh, when they're being asked to relocate. Um, more than half are not doing it. So you're basically changing over all of the interior staff, a lot of the agriculture staff. Probably you'll do the same thing with BLM and education department. Um, it seems like there's been no actual studies done, and that was the original proposals in 2017 and 2018, was to try to find out which areas, if it was possible, because they know that putting 
um, that, that it sometimes is a good idea, but you have to understand that it, it's not just for remaking the government, which is what it seems like Trump and some of his cronies are trying to jump on, where they're not doing it smartly. They're doing it in order to destroy these, these organizations and to have new people come in that they can control. And, and that's what it seems like that that's the argument where it's like everything else where there's there might be good intentions behind it. But if you have, um, you know, people with bad intentions, um, I'm trying to force a change that they're really trying to demolish something, then it can't be good. Um, and that's what it seems like is, is, is happening. And, I, you know, I don't know where it lays, but it seems like there needs to be more. Um, assessment, more analytics, more decision-making done here instead of just going, well, let's get them out of Washington, D.C. because there's the swamp. And and as long as we're tied to that kind of idea, it's the same idea that got us out of Syria. It's the same idea that, that, that allows him or same motivation that drives him to give Doral the G7, and it just leads to failure. It seems like this is a road for havoc amongst the government um, just because of ineptitude. Yeah, you know, I, it's interesting. There was there was a debate today, I guess, and well, actually, this goes back to September 10th. Excuse me, not today, because this only was proposed. I, I realized in 2017. Although I don't recall this really becoming an issue until the last six months or so. Yeah, it was all and theory until they all of a sudden jumped on an idea that wasn't very old and no one had looked at. And I guess that's part of my I, point. You know, it's moving, it's happening so fast without any assessment that where do you go besides fail? And, and you know, interestingly enough, from your home state, Representative Raul Grijalva, who is a Democrat and chairs the House Natural Resources Committee, he said something I thought was very interesting. Obviously, some Colorado legislators, even some Democrats are you know, in favor of this. But, but Ralph said, I don't think it's a question of distrust of the people uh, in the people of Grand Junction, Colorado, for example, where they want the Trump people want the BLM to go. He said, it's the distrust that's centered on this administration, their motivations, and what is really behind the move that we're here trying to get at. And again, I, I don't, you know, for all the deconstruction of federal government that the Reagan administration did, or the Bush administration, Bush too, not the first. I don't recall anybody there ever suggesting something like this. And I, again, you cannot, you just simply cannot trust anything coming out of the Trump administration. There, no, I don't, John, I don't recall any grand protests in the country. It's time to move all these offices out of the D.C. Do you? I don't ever recall any American being concerned about this. Because whether we like it or not, it's sometimes good for play, for with government for all main agencies to maybe sit, be centrally located so they can talk to each other, so they have quick access to Congress or to a president's administration, for example, uh, or a right. congressional representative. Exactly. If there's really a problem going on in the BLM, great. Let's hop over to, uh, uh, you know, Grohalva's office. Let's go to, you know, to... Right. Uh, with Senator Jackie Rosen's office of Nevada, for example, or or in Arizona, you know, with Senator Martha McSally, somebody we can talk to quickly. This just this almost seems again like some bizarre ideological based move. And and remember when Trump had Steve Bannon in there causing havoc, one of the things he said we want to destroy the administrative state. So I 
I'm just I'm highly suspicious about this, and I I don't ever recall you know members of the BLM saying it's time to do this, for example, or the Department of Education or anything else. It's also disrupting the lives of the people who you know work there and have lived in D.C. or Virginia. You know they have their families there. The kids are going to school. It's completely disrespectful of them. So I yeah, and I, you know, who again, knows where this is going to go, but. I think yeah. we all understand, you know, if there's effectiveness and efficiencies and there has to be people in the field and there have to be people that should be based, as you said, in the power center. Um, it's, it's, as, it's as ludicrous as, as saying, well, we have video conferencing now, so let's get rid of the, um, uh, you know, meeting rooms in Congress and let's just do everything on video chat. Um, you know, it's just that can't be done and you also can't move a whole department a whole you know the department of agriculture blm you can't just decide that you're going to move everything somewhere else um and there's no assessment no logical reasoning to say this is going to be better it's going to be more efficient we're going to get these better outcomes you know i think everyone's open for that um but again as you as you mentioned as grijalva has mentioned without any knowing that for sure you're just saying well it's going to be better because we're out of washington dc uh, not enough for me, you know, prove you know, John, it to me. And exactly. And the last time, again, last time I checked, there are BLM offices all across the Southwest Correct. and in the West period. There are Correct. all kinds of satellite facilities. As a reporter, I've gone to them in New Mexico, in yep. Utah, in Arizona, uh, in Vegas to, to, you know, do assignments, to interview people. So this is just, it is, again, you if it's coming from the Trump administration, everybody's antenna needs to be up because there's probably not good faith attached to this. Oh, and, so and you, know, I, I, you know, we'll see, but and, and, I doubt it. And it's one of those big topics, I think, that because of what's going on, because Trump is so inept in national policy, in foreign policy, because he's on the road to being impeached and having a trial in the Senate. Things like this are going under the radar of normal Americans, and it can, you know, impact um, the services we get, um, the efficiencies of our federal government for decades. Um, and, and it's just something that, you know, five, ten years ago, um, on, or, you know, under any other normal president, um, there would be in-depth stories on this um, and talking about the impacts that it has, people would ascertain how much travel they would have to make, um, that this would be a, a top-shelf story if not for being replaced in the times that it is. And this is what we need to right. you know, they, get back yeah. to and pay attention to. Right, and make no mistake, that's one of the reasons that, that the administration can get away with this, because we are in a constitutional crisis. We've got somebody technically called the president, who is going to most likely be impeached within the next three or four months, barring any, you know, shocking new development. Um, and, you know, he's all, you know, going into reelection with a lot on, you know, his backs. So this is just, they know they can get away with crap like this because the mainstream media, you know, is busy covering everything else. And there's only so much oxygen in the room, so to speak. To, to, you know, to focus on so many issues at, at one time. So it's, I, I just, I can only imagine, John, what the, you know, those employees of these agencies who have given their, you know, a lot of free, you know, a lot of hours and even maybe a lot of free time to, you know, help their agency function better. I, I just wonder what they think of this. I, I suspect probably a lot of them are not thrilled with it. 
you know, and you know, nothing against living in Colorado. It's a gorgeous state. Yeah. Like, you know, or, or living in Tennessee, also really beautiful place. I've been there, but uh, I, you know, for reasons we've already discussed, this is this is highly suspicious. Yeah. And you know, I think like we've mentioned, you know, there are certain jobs that probably should be in D.C. and certain jobs that shouldn't be. There wasn't a call to Correct. do this besides the fact that you want to drain the swamp or you want to have the agriculture department say it's in Iowa or it's in the Midwest. But, uh, you know, show me that it works better when you still have the capital in Washington, D.C. And, you know, I mean, you can even have that debate. Well, why is it in Washington, D.C.? It's all the way on the East Coast. And people can't travel there. Maybe we should just shut down Washington, D.C. And, and open it in Iowa City. I mean, because it's in the middle of the country. I mean, it's as, it's as silly as, 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 as making that argument. You know, and I want to say something else, John, that always annoys me when it comes to Trumpists and their whole, well, you know— those opposed to Trump are elitists who don't live in the heartland and don't understand it. Excuse my voice. Not one of these people would want to live, you know, if, if they had the chance. And if they were told you have to go live in Iowa, for example, and again, nothing against Iowa. It's a beautiful state, and I've enjoyed visiting there. But here's, I'm willing to bet Steve Bannon wouldn't do it. Ivanka Trump wouldn't do it, and yeah. neither would Don Jr. And anything will evolve so, around right. the area of around the seat of powers. Anyway, I mean, you know, in uh, right. you know, in Grand Junction and Fort Collins, they want to do these sorts of things. What you're going to get to grow up around it, lobbyists and other people who are trying to change what's going on. And just like in Washington, D.C., it was a backwater swamp no one wanted to be at, and that's why it became our capital. And now... There's certain things around it. It'll happen no matter where it is. It's 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 the power, not the place. That's right. That's right. Um, let's jump over to the people who want to run that swamp in Washington D.C., which is why we have drain the swamp. Washington D.C. was a swamp, literally. Um, but we have um, you know the Democratic uh, race for president or for the nomination is there. Um, you know. There was, I think, an Emerson poll that showed that everything was even. Um, mostly, though, uh, that's the you know the Emerson poll has been the outlier, um, but it always shows Biden with around twenty five percent. Everyone else kind of hovering around the ten to twelve to eight to five, you know, somewhere around there. Um, and so that's kind of you know where it is. But I think you know we, what we wanted to talk about today was some of those early races. We talked about that's really where the rubber is going to meet the road, and probably not much is going to change between now and February. Uh, the Iowa caucuses in uh, is the first, um, and it is tight. New Hampshire second, um, it is tight. Uh, Nevada third, it is very tight. Uh, South Carolina um, is actually the the one place that, that somebody has a lead, and it is Biden, um, and that's right before Super Tuesday. Um, but it does show a lot about right. what's going on there, and we might have a situation where we can have. Uh, four different winners in the first four contests, and then Super Tuesday really, you know, I mean, we're done. We might have two or three come after that 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 first big election. Right. I mean, again, I this is why I just it's always sometimes very frustrating to me to talk about these kinds of you know the, the race for president starts two sometimes even three years before we have an election. It is. Way too long, and there too much. I mean, the usual complaints apply here. Too much money involved, way too long, and way too cumbersome a process. Um, and you know, whoever might look like the front runner, you know, in in say September of 
whatever year may not be by the time Iowa rolls around. Um, so it's, I, I think it's interesting, South Carolina, that Biden is so popular there. Um, could be just because, again, he was Barack Obama's vice president, and you know Barack Obama is still probably pretty popular with Democrats, even in South Carolina. Uh, I think with Nevada being a state that has a different, you know, in terms in terms of the politics and, and how where it's moving, I, I think Nevada. I'm not surprised to kind of see Biden also with the lead, albeit not as strong. Um, so it's it's just it's interesting to look at these states, but honestly, John, I, I have to say, I you know, it's I can't looking at these numbers to it's almost impossible to make any predictions. Yes, Joe Biden is popular overall because of his eight years as, as Barack Obama's vice president, but also just because he was a popular senator beforehand. I mean, and I I honestly don't think. Not to go back into the whole Trump-Ukraine scandal, but I, I don't think their attempts at this point have really hurt Joe Biden. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like, if anything, it's almost strengthened Democratic support of him. But again, I just it is still such a long way to that first caucus, and so many things could happen. Yeah. Um, you you know, know, I can remember in 2003, it was all about Howard Dean. Uh, in fact, Howard Dean spoke when you and I were living in southern Arizona, right? southeast Arizona. He spoke there and got a huge crowd. I remember the Herald Review had it on its front page. Um, well, you know, we all know what happened with Howard Dean's campaign. Uh, some of that wasn't his fault. Some of it was. And before we knew it, John Kerry was the nominee in 2004. And, well, he didn't win. So I, I, I just think... You know, on the ground, what's happening there and how that really reflects, frankly, on where national polls are to me, those are two different animals. Uh I don't mean to get so esoteric with this, but it's just like I said, it's why, you know, you just never know who's going to be the nominee. It, It might seem like there's an inevitability and then one little thing can happen and they're not. Now, Biden's in the lead here for now. That could change. Uh, but, but by the time we get to February of 2020, it could be Elizabeth Warren. It could be Pete Buttigieg, uh, maybe A.B. Klobuchar. I, I've got to be honest, I don't think it's going to be Tom Steyer, Andrew Yang, or Tulsi Gabbard. Um, but right. it's, it's just, uh, it's an interesting thing to watch. And I think what's, I'm sorry about that. Another factor here, again, because nobody knows exactly What's going to happen with Donald Trump in terms of his impeachment and how badly that might weaken him going into next year and what, how that could affect the Democratic races? I mean, I, there, was a, there was a story today I saw saying both Democrats and Republicans are incredibly enthused for the election next year. Now, it's interesting, you know, you saw in the last major presidential elections, you saw a lot more enthusiasm on the part of Republicans. And, you know, sadly, you know, the rest is history. But it seems like they're just as jazzed up for next year. And that's, of course, reflective of their, you know, the base support of Trump and that they're not willing to abandon him. <clears throat> so I, I think you're obviously going to see if, if Democrats have any sense that they'd better be ready for that in, in terms of who they're going to pick. If it's And again, I'm not sure it's going to be Trump next year, but if it's going to be Mike Pence or maybe it could be Mitt Romney, but somebody that might have a chance of winning. 
even with all the damage Trump has done, it just there, there are so many factors at play here that, I mean, these numbers are interesting to me, but I, I just honestly, John, I don't think they tell the whole story of what's going on. No, but no, it no, you know, nothing does until they actually go to the polls. But, you know, what it's showing now, though, is that, you know, no matter what anybody says by looking at if you want to look at those national polls that continually come out, just say, well, Biden's the front runner. You know, mm-hmm. he's not the front runner in the first three um, uh, contests, um, you know, for sure. And, and, and that and that really plays um, a lot into what happens. And we talk about I was on February 3rd. Um, New Hampshire's February 11th, so you have you know eight days between those two, um, nine days be- uh, between New Hampshire and Nevada, um, uh, seven days be- to South Carolina. So you know you could have Biden right. for almost a full month, the whole month of February. He hasn't won a race yet, um, and he might he might take South Carolina if that holds, uh, and and he decides to still stay in, which he probably will. Um, but then Super Tuesday doesn't look any better, you know, you know, poll wise. Um, you know, he's leading in, Cal- uh, you know, Warren is really doing well in California, even though Biden's right there with her. Um, and, right. and, 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 you know, Harris is, you know, from being from California, she's not showing very well. Her numbers have plummeted in California uh, since the middle of the summer. And, you know, you know, there's California and Texas is in Super Tuesday. Um, you know, and so those are some big races. Uh, you know, maybe maybe Biden picks up something, but those thirty days, um, you know, around from February second to March third, you know, that's that's a really going to be an interesting. That's that's really where we're going to know what's going on in this Democratic race. You know, we've been looking at it for months, but you know, we're just a little short of three months away from really finding out what's going on. Uh, you know, it's 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 here. It's close enough. And, and, you know, it doesn't look right. good for I, Biden I, in those first three contests. Yeah. I mean, I, I think just, again, I, when I talk about Biden's popularity, I do, again, I'm referring just on a national level. Obviously, state to state, as you said, things change. And look, Elizabeth Warren has just, you know, she's having an incredible run of it right now. Um, you know, Bernie Sanders, and I did mention, I, you know, I did mention him earlier, and I should have, I, what I find interesting about this this period right now, and of course the senator, you know, he just he had a heart attack recently, and thank heavens he's doing much better. Uh, his daughter-in-law died tragically of cancer at a fairly young age. I mean, this guy's been through a lot lately. You know, you see, you have to got you got to feel something for him. Um, what I do think he is not quite performing the way he was the last time, and let's not rehash the 2016 primary, but. Uh, so that I find interesting, and it may be because of some bad feeling from 2016, or it could just be in the minds of, of Democratic base voters and those who are paying attention. There are just other candidates who are more attractive to them at this point. Yeah, you know, we talked um, about this before, too, and it does seem like, you know, Warren kind of takes some of that, um, you know, Medicare for all kind of idea, the attacks against um, the extremely wealthy um, you know, now he's got a he's got a uh, uh, you know he's got competition on those uh, areas of the Democratic platform, or at least on their personal political platforms. Um, you know, there's just somebody who's got the same ideas as he does this time, and last time it wasn't that way. Yeah, again, I just this is why every presidential election, even if you have some of the same names, there are always completely different dynamics that spring up yep. around them. Um, you know, we could talk forever about what happened to the GOP that Donald Trump ended up as the nominee 
and then, you know, barely winning. And of course the havoc that has ensued from there. But it's so it's, there's just so many factors that go into something like this. Um, again, it's important to kind of pay attention to these polls and sort of see maybe who looks like who's leading and, and why they are. Right. Um, but I, as far as I'm concerned, it's just that's a long way to, to Iowa. It's still three months um, away. That's right. And, you know, don't even ask me to predict who I think's going to win that. I, I, I wouldn't even want to try right now. Well, you know, and also it's a caucus, so it's the hardest one to predict because you never know what right. happens, you know, with energy. It's all just about getting people out there, especially when it's very still very cold in Iowa. Um, let's let's just briefly touch on the Tulsi Gabbard um um, I guess, you know, I think I've, I, I, I termed it in imbroglio, um, but it's, you know, the <laughs> idea that she's, you know, kind of a puppet for Putin kind of got, got out there. I think, you know, right wing uh, folks have jumped on it and it almost maybe even seems like the additional um, disinformation campaign, but she's all over it. Um, it does, you know, I. For those who might not know it, I mean, the easiest way or have, have, have read many stories on it, the easiest way I can explain it to anybody is she has some policy positions which are either considered conservative GOP slash Russian Putin. Um, the idea of what goes on in Syria, disengaging with certain things, um, how she wants, you know, kind of got a nationalist agenda from a Democrat. Um, doesn't really seem like, you know, a lot of her policy positions align with the party. Um, and they kind of align with these um, other, you know, elements that really help, um, you know, some of these authoritarian governments who are who are taking it that they want America to, to withdraw from the world stage in order for them to, um, uh, you know, kind of push their power. Um, and I think that that's what the argument is. And, you know, I think Gabbard is, is a, you know, really hurt by, you know, lack of traction by that people just don't see it there. And it's been an issue. You know, I personally don't, right. you know, you know, uh, uh, agree with a lot of her policy positions, but they are what they are. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody's really saying that she's a literal asset. But, you know, when you have anybody in this country agrees with Putin, he abuses it and exploits it because he's only looking out for really his own personal interest because that will benefit the country, maybe. Um, you know, so it's it, it, there's 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 you know, you know, conflicting interests here, but I think it's been another one of these elements where we will have disinformation come up and it's perpetuated by conservative media because they want to, um, you know, really stoke any of these, this anger. And I think, you know, you know, Gabbard, you know, truly doesn't really align with most of the other candidates. And that's why she's just not placing in the polls. People find out about her policy positions on the Democratic (laughs) Party and they don't want to support them. And it's as simple as that. Um, and a lot of them align with the, the with you know you know you know Putin and his cronies, and so there you go. That's where the, their connection is, but it's not it's not you know um, the same kind of ideas. I you know I just see it differently as Trump because it seems like there's a literal connection there, where you know he's 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 done business there. He he has people uh, in his campaign. We know where Gabbard came from. She was in the army. She was a major. She kind of came up through, and now that's that's what's kind of effectuated her political stances. Um, I think there's different motivation, but it's the same thing. It's the it's the you know tale of the of the um, uh, familiar traveler. You know somebody who it kind of has your same ideas, and so you perpetuate them in order to spur division um, amongst Democrats. And 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 I think that that's the basis of the argument. And it's as simple as that. You know, unless you want to clarify that. You know, that's all I really got on it. I just. You know, I, I just think it's been mischaracterized. So it's another, you know, another thing I wanted to bring out to try to shine some light on. 
Right, I'm glad you did. I <clears throat> look, I Gabbard to me, I, she there is no chance that she's going to be the nominee. I, I think, frankly, and and whatever Hillary Clinton's comment may may have been, um, I, Gabbard overreacted, calling her queen of the war mongers, an embodiment of corruption. Up, oh, really, Tulsi? Have you met Donald Trump? Really? Um, you know, just extraordinarily nasty response from Gabbard that I just, I don't think helped her much either. But just she's not going to be the nominee. She she has a very strange sort of you know policy when it comes to Russia and other and other very important topics. Um, and I just I just don't think she has any great appeal to Democrats. It, I mean, and I'm I, I've read some stories where she's not. Starting, you know, things aren't starting to look bad for her in terms of her own district in Hawaii that she represents, because people, I suspect, are starting to tire of this. Um, yeah, the poll I, numbers I just are down for her. Just, I mean, it's given her, yeah, it's given her more attention. I'm, excuse me, I, I did not articulate that well at all. This has given her some attention, and that's all well and good, but it's, it's certainly not going to translate into any, I think, you know, front and center position, uh, you know, in terms of being a nominee or a VP nominee or in any future Democratic president's cabinet. Uh, you know, she's gone on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox. Yeah, that's, that is really not a great strategy to attract progressive voters. Um, so I, I really, she's just, to me, she's a very strange candidate. I, I don't know how else to describe her. Uh, you know, somebody who praised Steve Bannon, you know, I, I, you know, had actually met with him. She met with the Trump transition team. I, you know, and did it, does she really think she has any prayer in hell of winning the Democratic nomination? I, I, you've just, you've got to wonder exactly what her motivations are. I, yeah, and her campaign came out of left not, field to me. Um, so you know, I mean, there's there's some really weird things about it, but you know, I, it, it, it just isn't. Um, you know, it's it seems like a wrong candidate um, at the wrong time in the wrong party. Right. I again, I'm not 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 impressed with her or nor, and I and I certainly don't think she's doing herself any favors right now. Um, let's move on to our quick hits here. Um, I'm just going to turn um, uh, the uh, the floor and the gavel over to you and to have you talk about Chile. Uh-huh. Well. <clears throat> For people who have been aware of it uh, down in Chile, sadly, there seems to be a, a, a really serious crisis developing there. People have been protesting over the last few days over the cost of living, uh, basically, and the Chilean government has, you know, responded with a very heavy military presence. I, I've seen some some videos of people protesting, and and it, it it's quite intense, uh, and. You know, this is a country, for anybody who is aware of the history, 46 years ago, you know, a popular leader was overthrown and Augusto Pinochet became, you know, a dictator there where he reigned for roughly, you know, 16, 17 years until the 90s. Uh, and, and of course, his government was known for torturing people and imprisoning them and killing them. So, you know, I, I was actually talking to a colleague the other day who was from Chile and needless to say, he was very worried about what was going on there. Um, he said, you know, I lived through 
1973 coup and and what followed. And I never want it to happen again. <clears throat> and it's interesting. There's a Bloomberg opinion today written by John Alders, the senior editor for the markets. And he's basically saying this kind of sort of economic protest, you know, if it could happen in Santiago, which, by the way, is a prosperous city in a relatively prosperous country, you know, it could happen anywhere. Uh, if, if there's so much economic inequality, if, if there's so much unrest, you know, that can you know, that can trigger major protests. It can trigger instability. And so it's it's something to pay attention to. I, you know, I'm not sure how all of this is going to resolve. Um, I'm not sure how much the, you know, the Chilean president is interested in maybe making enough concessions to people, you know, so things can calm down there. It, it's really a, a situation that's in flux right now. Um so, I mean, you know, it's it just when you think about that, John, there's protests there. There's Hong Kong. There's been major protests in Lebanon, Lebanon against the government. Uh, so there's just, you know, you're seeing this kind of unrest and, and some of it for understandable reasons, uh, you know, happening in a lot of places. And I, I don't think it's I, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence as you've seen, you know, Governments like this one are sadly, you know, the UK, the Philippines, Turkey, uh, you know, never mind Russia, who've decided where a majority of their voters feel that somebody who really doesn't know what they're doing should be in charge of, of government because it's after all, it's about shaking up the system. You know, that, that comes with a lot of unintended consequences. Right. Um, and uh, so it's, it's just, it's, it's highly disconcerting what's going on in Chile. And now, Let's talk about what just happened with our neighbor to the north. Now, this is a different matter and a lot more peaceful. Uh, Justin Trudeau, because his party won a majority of seats in the Canadian Parliament, he's going to be their uh, country's leader for four more years. I was honestly kind of surprised, even though he does, you know, come into it somewhat weakened and is going to have to make concessions to the main conservative party and, and the NDP, and on a far less note, the Greens, who won a few seats there. Um, but I mean, all in all, it's, it's, a, you know, rather startling victory for him. This is a guy who, you know, I, I'd say this year has not been a good one for Trudeau. He had the scandal regarding Laval and, and, a and a factory where he tried to intervene under what seemed to be understandable reasons, but it looked like he was trying to, you know, unduly influence whether this company laid off people um, because obviously he knew that that would not look good for him. And then, of course, there was the infamous, these infamous photos of him in very dark makeup, dressed as, I guess, the genie from Aladdin. And then there was, I, and I never saw the other photo, one of him in what critics say was blackface. Now, to his credit, unlike a certain governor in Virginia, who we could mention, you know, he admitted, yes, it's me, and I'm ashamed of it, and that's not who I am today, and I apologize um, so obviously I don't think enough Canadians felt that Andrew Scheer, his conservative rival was, you know, the right answer to running the country for the next four years and gave Trudeau, uh, another chance. I, I honestly, I was somewhat surprised. I, I frankly thought that Scheer was going to win. Um, and I will say too, I, I, cause I was following we, the C-SPAN had live coverage of the CBC, uh, on Tuesday night. So I was watching that. And when Trudeau spoke, I, I do feel that he should have maybe shown a little more humility. 
Um, I think he's just probably was reelected because he was considered, you know, the, the better option, if, if far from a perfect one for yeah. Canada. But I, I do think it's interesting, John, because that could be a harbinger of things to come for our own country. If you had sort of middle-class Canadians not wanting to make a rightward turn there, and it, it, you know, that may be what's going to happen here next year. Enough Americans, you know, will vote Trump out if he's still around, or or whoever the Republican nominee is going to be, and put in a Democrat. I mean, again, it's a long way till next year, right. but I, I just thought that 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 was sort of an interesting undertone to that election. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and, and as far as Chile goes, um, you know, you want to have inequality and, and uh, you know, not pay the people enough. Um, and uh, eventually those things will happen. Um, uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, as far as Trudeau goes, I agree with you. It's It, it shows a little bit, you know, with all the kind of, you know, turning rightward in Europe um, that when uh, Canada went left uh, with Trudeau, um, you know, you hope that it's it is gonna you know continue in the American electorate, and you know we saw what happened in Mexico. It seems like there's a little bit different momentum going on here, uh, at least right now uh, since 2016. Yeah. yeah, that's. I mean, I look. It's at the end of the day, in a democracy, and some of these countries, we yeah, well, Chile is. I shouldn't say that, but when you have people who vote and they they feel like things are going, you know, badly, they're going to respond now. Either they're going to do that in a voting booth or they're going to come out in the streets and we hope peacefully protest. Now, we've seen this going on, you know, for months now in Hong Kong. Um, So and in Canada, voters, you know, they went to the polls on Tuesday and they decided we're going to give Justin Trudeau another chance, even though, you know, he's ticked us off quite a bit. Um, So and that's that's how it you know, ideally, that's how it should be. Obviously, people speaking their mind. In you know, be it on the streets or be it in a uh, in a voting booth, um, but I, I just I, I was surprised by the results Tuesday there. So, and hopefully, all I can say is I hope Trudeau has learned from his mistakes, you know, and to be a better Prime Minister of Canada. I'm sure Donald Trump is probably not thrilled that he's you know they'll be dealing with Trudeau for a little while more, even though supposedly they have a good relationship. But I, John, I honestly don't think any world leader really likes Trump or has any truly has any good relationship with him. So, I don't know. I mean, Kim and Putin uh, seem to be doing all right. Well, a legitimate, decent, good-hearted world leader. We're not we're not talking about, you know, Kim or Erdogan or oh, Putin. So you mean we're talking like about democratically decent, elected decent people. people. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> democratically democratic elected people uh, like Justin Trudeau or or you know, Angela Merkel or Macron of France or or even AMLO of Mexico and right now, you know, things are not going so great for him. So Well Karen, you know, as always, thank you for joining me on the podcast and, and you know for us having this great conversation. Uh, yeah, I learn a lot. It's just great and it's great fun. And, and I'm sure all of us agree. So thank you for joining me and being here week in and week out. Thank you, and thank you very much to everybody listening. Talk at you next time, everybody. Thanks. Thanks.